What a beautiful song. Amen. Could not find a song, Sister Bell, to go with the message any better than that one. She had no idea what I was going to preach. I didn't have any idea what I was going to preach till early this morning. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 14. My heart is so full this morning. I like it when God squeezes my heart and juice runs out my eyes. I said juice. It might be a little bit of gravy mixed in there, brother. Brother Berner, after this past week, there may be a little bit of turkey juice and gravy mixed in there with that. When you find your place, stand with me, please. Second Chronicles comes right after First Chronicles. Looking out over the sea of faces in front of me, I'm seeing new faces and faces I hadn't seen in a while. I'm glad you're here today. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse number nine, for the sake of time, we're just going to read a couple verses and then we'll back up beginning of the chapter. But it says, and there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came unto Mareshah. Then Asa went out against him and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. Father, help us this morning, I pray. As we turn our hearts to this passage of Scripture, I pray that you'd strengthen me and may the Word of God minister to hearts. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I had several thoughts on my heart coming into this weekend. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again this morning. I never struggle with what to preach. I always struggle with what not to preach. And that is the truth. Sometimes I feel like I'm sitting under a, just a hose. God just pouring his word out into my heart and trying to figure out what God wants me to preach sometimes is not easy. But I woke up this morning with this thought on my heart. And with God's help, I'm just going to give it to you. It's not deep, okay? It's not deep this morning. Verse number 11, Asa said, help us. Oh, Lord, that's what I want to look at this morning. Help us. Oh, Lord, I'm thankful we have a God that we can turn to when we need help. I'm thankful we have a God that is in the helping business. Just so I don't feel like I'm all by myself up here, is there anybody in here this morning beside me that needs God's help? Amen. Where you're in a good place. 
That song Sister Bell just sang about being in his mighty arms and being held in his arms is so, so relevant and is so real. We never get to the place in our, in our Christian life where we don't need help. We're going to see that this morning. I'm just asking God to put it together in your heart like he put it together in mine. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter 14, so Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet. Ten years. And then we get to verse number two and we see first of all the practices, I believe I'm right, of Asa, the practices. See his practices. Looking at his life, looking at the manner of life that he lived. In verse number two, Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And we're going to get to the verse in just a minute where our text is, but we just got to, we got to move through these verses because I feel like, I feel like this morning God's just wanting us to focus on turning to him for help in spite of ourselves. Listen to me, I don't care I don't care who you are this morning, you never get so close to God and so right with God and striving to live for God to the point to where you don't need his help. In fact, the, the, the truth of the matter is, I, I speak from experience, seems like the closer I try to get to God, the more I realize I need his help. But verse number two is a good place to be. That's a good place to start. <clears throat> Asa was, did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. What a testimony. I wonder this morning, could it be said about you that you're doing that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. When God looks down and looks at your life, is he seeing a life that is striving to do that which is right? Or does he see a person that is so consumed with themselves that they don't care what God said, they just want to do what they want to do? Asa, the Bible tells us, did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. I preached last Sunday morning on some things a child can know. And one of the verses that we gave was the Bible says, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. There is a right way to live. I told you this wasn't deep. You want something deep, you're going to have to come to Bible college to get that. This is, this is simple this morning. There's a right way to live. And there's a wrong way to live. And by the way, I hate to pop your bubble this morning, but you're not the judge of what's right and wrong God is. You say, well, that might be right for you, but that's not right for me. That might be wrong for you, but that's not wrong for me. I don't find that in the Bible. God's the one that determines what's right, and God's the one that determines what's wrong. And you and I, this morning, ought to strive to live the life that's right. A life that's good. A life that's pure in the eyes of God. Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. You got people today that won't they want to turn to God for help after they've been abusing and mistreating and ignoring everything he said. And I'm glad God does hear the prayers of those that turn to him in an hour of need. But can I tell you something? God does not hear the prayers of those whose life is so full of sin. In fact, the Bible says his hand is not short and he cannot save. 
Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins are separated between you and your God, and he will not hear you. That's what it said. The Bible's clear. Whosoever hideth his sin, covereth his sin, shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You want to get on prayer answering ground? You want to get on prayer answering ground, yes or no? Do you want to get on prayer answering ground? Do you want your prayers to get heard and you want your prayers of help and begging God for help to get answered? Good place to start is where Asa started in verse number two. Live right, do right. Bible says in verse number two, he did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Didn't say he did that which was right in the eyes of the pastor or his parents or his peers or his church, he did that which was right in the eyes of God because God sees everything. Amen. Santa Claus don't see everything you do, but God does. Huh? He knows if you've been bad or good. Amen. So be good for Jesus' sake. Amen. Verse number three, for he took away the altars of the strange gods. We see secondly is purging. Took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places break down the images and cut down the groves. The Bible says in verse five, he took away out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images. We see his purging. Here's what's gonna happen. Whenever you start trying to live right and you start trying to do right and you start trying to conform to the word of God and live according to the standards of the word of God, you're gonna notice idols. You're gonna notice strange gods. You're gonna notice things that you didn't notice before. Things you drove by a hundred times and never saw it. Things that you've done a hundred times and never thought twice about it. When you start living for God, God's going to start pointing out some things in your life that need to be broke down and tore down and eliminated and gotten rid of. The closer you get to God, the more stuff you're going to see in your life has got to go. Amen. We got a lot of people today that just settle. They just settle for a status quo, settle for average. There was not a college football coach worth his salt yesterday that even if their team won, didn't go back into the locker room and say, we got some stuff we got to work on. That's right. Georgia Bulldogs beat Georgia Tech yesterday, but it wasn't pretty. We beat them and it's a a W. It's a W in the win column. But the first thing everybody said was they got some work to do if they're going to beat Alabama and if they're going to beat Michigan. Now, I'm being carnal for just a second. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. There wasn't a single football coach yesterday that went in there and said, we won, that's all that matters. No, they said, there's some, there's some holes we got to plug. There's some things we got to strengthen. There's some things we got to fix. We might have got away with it today, but we're not sure we're going to get away with it next week. Why do you think the Bible says to the church, strengthen those things that remain? The closer you get to God, the more things he's going to start showing you that used to be you was okay with it and you ain't going to be okay with it anymore. And your family might be okay with it and your friends might be okay with it. But the closer you get to God, he's going to point out some things in your life that you're going to have to purge and get rid of. Everybody's going to think you're crazy. But don't worry about what they think. You're just concerned about what God thinks. And if God says it's a strange God, it's an island, it's a high place, it's got to go. You got to tear it down. You got to get rid of it. Throw it out of the house. Took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. 
took out, verse number five, took away out of all of the cities, the high places and the images. There was a purging that took place. But then we see in verse number four, we see his passion. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and his commandments. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. I love this. His passion was not for them to just look better and, and, and clean up their act. His passion was not for them to have a better impression on people. His passion was not for them to have a higher ranking amongst spiritual people. His passion was for them to seek God. Can I tell you something? We got a lot of people today that seems to be doing everything but seeking God. Seeking man's approval. They're seeking the pastor's approval. They're, they're, they're expecting that stamp of approval from the church. That's all they care about as long as everybody approves of their life. Why don't you focus on seeking after God? Because I'm going to tell you something. That's where it starts getting real. Start seeking God. Seek after God. Don't seek, don't seek other people's approval and other people's uh, okay because that's easy to get. Heard a saying years ago, says you can fool some of the people all the time and you can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool God none of the time. That's what we want to be aiming for right there, his passion. In verse number four was he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. But then we notice in verse number six and seven, we notice his power. The Bible says he built fenced cities, verse six, in Judah fortified them. That's walled cities in Judah. For the land had rest and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars. Fortified the cities. Strengthened the cities. The Bible says in verse number 8, Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears out of Judah 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bears shields and drew bows, 204 score thousand. That's 280,000. All these were mighty men of valor. So here he is. Asa's got, he's got enough insight. He's got enough sense that while he's, while he's working on his relationship with God and while he's challenging everybody else to seek after God and while he's doing his best to do what is pleasing unto God, he strengthened the cities. They built walls, put up gates. He built an army of 580,000 men that were armed, the Bible says, and mighty in valor. He's got a lot going on. So much so, the Bible says, the latter part of verse number seven, our next point we see is prosperity. The Bible says, so they built and prospered. So we see a man here that you think, man, this is a great, this is a great man. And he was a great man. Doing a good work, was doing a good work. Living a good life, was living a good life. Taking his role as the king serious. He's strengthening the cities. He's building an army. He's arming his men. They're fortifying so they can defend their place. And the Bible says they were building and God prospered them. You think, well, he's good to go now. Good to go. Done everything right, doing everything right, and he's good to go now. But see, here, here brings us to the next point. We see the problem. The problem is this. It don't matter how close to God you get. 
It don't matter how passionate you are about God. It don't matter how much you're trying to get everybody else to live for God. It don't matter how much you strengthen and how much uh, you build. There will always be opposition. Remember this. There will always be opposition. You will never get to the place in your Christian life where they will not come against you. That's interesting to me. God will make sure that there will always be something come against you bigger than you. I didn't say bigger than him. I said bigger than you. The Bible tells us in verse number eight that he had 300,000 men out of Judah and 280,000 men out of Benjamin. That's 580,000 armed soldiers. That sounds like a lot of people, don't it? Then here comes this Ethiopian king with a thousand thousand. That's King James for a million. Huh? 580,000 sounds like a lot of soldiers, don't it? Till you're standing in the valley facing somebody nearly twice your size. Huh? Listen to me. God will always make sure that you never get to the place in your Christian life where you don't need him. One of the worst places you can ever get in your life is where you don't need God. Can I tell you what one of the things that God had about the church at Laodicea that made him want to throw up? This is Revelation 3. I mean, he said, you make me want to spew you out of my mouth. He said, because you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That included God. They didn't even need God. In their mind, they didn't need God. Brother Young and I were talking, Brother Ronnie Young, we're talking Thursdays when we went down to Tractor Supply with Black Friday sales. We were talking, preaching to one another the whole time. So all we do is preach, stood in the store and preached. We're hollering at one another over, over racks of blue jeans and overalls. We're preaching to one another the whole time. He said, that's where we got, that's where we found out we were in 2020. The people of God, the church as a whole, we realized that they didn't need anything. They didn't even need God. And Jesus standing outside the church of Laodicea knocking on the door, wanting to come in and sup with them, which blows my mind. Why God want to come in and sup with the likes of us? But he said, you're miserable. Now, no, it's not. Stay with me. If I turn over there, I'm going to bog down. So just stay with me. Revelation 3, Church of Laodicea, he's, this is Jesus talking. He said, thou knowest not. Thou knowest not that thou art miserable. Miserable. How do you get miserable and not know it? Thou knowest not that thou art miserable. And wretched. And poor. How can you be poor and not know it? It's all they've ever known. When I was growing up, we was poor and I didn't know it. That's all I'd ever known. I'm talking about we was poor. We were so poor I couldn't even pay attention. I'm not joking. It was, we were so poor that mom would pull the dryer out from the wall and we would sit behind the dryer with our coats on in the winter to stay warm while our clothes was drying in the dryer. I watched my daddy lasso dead limbs out of the yard, out of the trees to put in the fireplace to keep us warm at night. 
because he couldn't afford fuel for the furnace. I'm talking about poor. But we didn't know he was poor because that's all we'd ever known. There's some people, though, they get so blessed and they get God, they have so much going for them that they get to the place where they don't think they need God. And God put somebody, God put something in Asa's path. He put a problem that was way bigger than him. The Bible says that Asa went out against him, verse number 10. They said the battle in array in the valley of, of Zephatha at Marisha. And I, I love the way verse 11 starts. Because 11, verse 11, if it had been us, in many cases, it would have said, and Asa tried to fight a million people with 580,000 and they all got destroyed. That's what it would sound like if it was us most of the time. I got this. I got this. I've trained this army. I've built these walls and these cities. I, I got this. I want you to notice lastly his prayer in verse number 11. Boy, verse 11 spoke to my heart. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God. Listen to me now. Listen to me very carefully. This is why verse number four is so important. That you make God your God. It's one thing to call unto the God of your father and your mother, call unto the God of your pastor, call unto the God of your church, call unto the God of your husband or your wife, call unto the God of your parents. But it's another thing when you get your back against the wall and you can call out to God because he's your God. You've made him your God. And open up those channels of communication so that when you have your back against the wall and you're encountering a problem that's bigger than you, you can turn to your God. He cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help whether with many or with them that have no power. Lord, he said, it's not a problem for you to help somebody that can't get themselves up off the chair or you can help a king that's already done all of his homework and built up these fortified cities and built these walls and gates and built an army of 580,000. Lord, for you, six of one, half a dozen the other. Look at what he says. Help us, oh Lord our God, for we rest on thee. Whoo. I wonder how long it takes us to get to that place when we're facing a problem bigger than us. I wonder how many times we have to get kicked in the face. I wonder how many times we have to fall flat on our face. I wonder how many times we crash and burn before we recognize we need God. Asa wasn't relying on his testimony. He wasn't relying on his trying to seek God and please God and do what was right in the sight of God. He wasn't relying on his commanding everybody else to seek after God. He wasn't relying on his 580,000 men that he had armed. He wasn't relying on the cities that he had built and fortified and put up walls and gates and bars. You want to know who he relied on? He relied on God and he was quick to admit that. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee and in thy name we go against this multitude. That's a good place to be. It's a good place to start. 
I love in verse number 10 that he piled up there with all of his soldiers and they went out to a, in battle to array. But I love the fact that he got God in on it at the beginning. Look at what he says. In thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. <laughs> Lord, we're with you. We're on your side. This is your battle. We're your people. We're your children. We're trying to do what you said. We're trying to live according to your precepts. We're seeking after you. We're trying to follow your commandments. We're just doing everything that we know to do to please you. Lord, the enemies come up against us and we ask you if you would to please stand in front of us. We're with you. This is your battle. God likes that. God likes that. That's evident in the very next verse. And the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. <laughs> I wonder how many times we fight and we fight and we fight. And I know I'm preaching a series on Sunday nights out of Ephesians 6. We fight and fight and fight and fight and we think we got this. I, I'm, I know enough Bible. I've been saved long enough. I'm strong enough. Let me tell you something. Just because you've been saved don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. Right. Just because you've been through the 12 weeks of principles of growth don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. Just because you've committed a few verses to memory don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. Just because you're trying to raise your kids for God don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. Just because you're trying to live clean and live pure and wait on the right one and get married in the will of God so you can have a godly family don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. As a matter of fact, everything I just told you is a reason why the devil's going to come after you even more. Amen. He'll come after you with everything he's got. And I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again this morning. You, can, you are no match for the devil by yourself. You need God. Asa had enough sense to realize that. Lord, I can't do this. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the ability. I don't have the soldiers. I don't have, I can't do this. I'm relying on you. I'm dependent on you. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee and in thy name. We go against this multitude. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Sister Bell just sang that song about resting in the arms of Jesus. There may be, there may be somebody here this morning, and it's not just the big burly masculine men, but it might be some of you women. like, I don't need rest in the arms of Jesus. You don't realize how bad you need to be in the arms of Jesus. He says we rest in thee. Now listen to me. I'm trying to get this done. The Bible tells us in verse number five, the kingdom was quiet before him. The Bible says in verse number six, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Now God's bringing adversity. Now the God's bringing opposition. Now God's bringing in an army twice his size. But you know what I find, Brother Adriel? Asa said, I can still rest. It's a different kind of rest. It's a rest in the middle of adversity and conflict and battle. It's a rest in the middle of opposition because I'm resting in God. Amen. And they come up here to kill us all. They come up here to destroy us all. But I'm going to rest in you. 
And the Bible says that the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them under Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord. I'm talking about a million, a million man army. They spoiled all the cities, for there were exceeding much spoil in them. Smote also the tents of cattle, and carried away sheep and camel in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. What about that? Well, that would have turned out a whole lot different. That would have turned out a whole lot different if Asa said, I got this. I got this. I've been walking with God. I'm good. I've been trying to get everybody else around me to seek after God. I'm good. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. And I've been strengthening the cities and I've been strengthening the families and I've been strengthening the soldiers. I'm good. I got this. He did not have it and he knew it. Can I tell you what the best thing you can say in your Christian life? Say it loud and say it often. Help us, oh Lord. Help us. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Help my marriage. You see, I got a good marriage. Wonderful, wonderful. Praise the Lord. You think the devil's happy about that? You see, me and my wife, we hadn't fought in three or four days. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Got a good marriage. Lord, let us be in a good church. God's give us peace and God's give us rest. Trust me when I tell you this. The worst thing that could ever happen to you, the worst thing that could ever happen to your family, the worst thing that ever happened to our church is get to the place where we don't wake up every day saying, help us, O oh Lord. We're resting in you. We're fighting in your name. We need you front and center. And please don't let the enemy prevail against thee. We ain't worried about us. We're worried about God, being where God wants us to be. There may be somebody here this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed, simple message, not a deep message this morning, but what God give me. Somebody here this morning needs to get in this altar and say, help me, O oh Lord. Help me. Asa was a king. He was a general. He had armies. He was a builder. He had a heart for God. And the first thing he did when the enemy showed up was he said, help us, O oh Lord. You may be here this morning and you're trying to deal with it in your own strength and in your own power. I beg you this morning, don't do that. You will become a casualty. Altars are full, but there's room for more. There may be somebody here this morning and say, Pastor Shiflett, I'm not 100% sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I can't say for sure with 100% certainty, I'm going to heaven when I die. And I would like for you to remember me in prayer. Would you be honest enough this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed, right where you're sitting. Just quietly slip your hand up where I can see it. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Hold it up where I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. I see that hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? Listen, we, we just want to help you this morning. We want to be a blessing to you this morning. Listen, the devil causes some people to doubt that is saved. 
People that have been saved, he'll cause them to doubt that. He'll make you think, I didn't say the right thing. I didn't do the right thing. I don't know if I'm saved or not. Listen, I would not leave this morning until you get that nailed down. Maybe you are saved and you just need assurance. Or maybe you've never been saved. I don't know. We won't know until we pray with you and talk to you, but we beg you this morning. Would you, would, you, would you do something that's maybe not something been easy for you to do and say, help me, oh Lord. Help me, oh Lord. I can't do it by myself.